0: And that was the first time I learned that, you know, these are still deer. You can't go blundering around in their habitat and think that they're just stupid city deer and get away with it. You have to pattern them. You have to play the wind just like you would anywhere.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and today we have a a great guest lined up for you guys. If you're a member of the National Deer Association, then you've probably read some of his articles in our Quality Whitetails magazine over the years, Uh, maybe seen some of them on the website as well, but that is, uh, we're going to be talking to Bruce Ingram of Virginia. Uh, Bruce and his wife, Elaine, they've written a ton of articles for us over the years, and uh, a lot of that's been centered around food and, and some unique recipes that, that they enjoy. But uh, Bruce has also shared his, his passion for suburban hunting in some of those articles. And that's what we're going to be talking about with Bruce today. He, he's going to walk us through the whole process of, you know, how he finds these suburban properties, how he gets permission to hunt them. Uh, some of the unique challenges of suburban hunting, as well as some suburban hunting strategy. So we're going to cover the full gamut. Uh, He's also going to share with us a story about how he once had a hunt ruined by a neighborhood golfer. So that's one, you don't want to miss that one as well. But before we get started though, this week's episode is brought to you by NDA partner Alps Outdoors, uh, makers of some of the best hunting packs on the market. Uh, I've been all season looking for the perfect pack to haul my saddle hunting gear around in. And I recently picked up the Alps Willow Creek pack. And, man, it's uh, it's the perfect size to haul my platform and my sticks and just a, a few other things that I carry with me to the stand on a regular basis without being overly heavy or bulky. So I think it's going to be the perfect saddle hunting pack. But regardless of, of what you hunt or, or where you hunt, Alps has a pack to suit your needs so if you're in the market for a new hunting pack this season be sure to check those guys out at alpsoutdoors.com and that's outdoors with the z alpsoutdoors.com and one more thing before we jump on the phone here with Bruce Uh, we have a great online fundraiser going on right now and that'll be carrying on until next Tuesday December 7th where you can win one of six Matthews V3 bows that we're giving away. Um, two of those are in ambush green, two are in black, and two are in First Light's new Spectre camo pattern, which, man, those, those things right there are sharp. I uh, wish I could win one of those myself, but uh, I'm, I'm not eligible, but you guys are. So, uh, And not only can you win a great bow, but, hey, you'll be helping us out as well to continue our mission to ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. So. Be sure to check that out on our homepage at deerassociation.com, and just click on that big Matthews Archery Sweepstakes banner at the top of the page, and that'll that'll get you where you need to go. And hey, guys, with that, let's jump on the phone here with Bruce to talk a little bit about suburban deer hunting. Bruce, how are you doing?
0: Very good. I just got home from teaching high school English.
1: Yeah, that's all right. Well, at least least as we speak here, it's a Friday, so we're going into a weekend here, and of course, it's November, so uh, weekends in November are uh, never a bad thing. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully, you can you can get some time out in the field maybe this weekend. But
0: well, actually, I'm taking my son hunting. He hasn't killed a deer yet, so I'm I'm hoping to get him a, a a doe on our on our land in Craig County, Virginia.
1: Well, good deal, good deal. That uh, that will definitely make for a a good weekend. So how how is uh, how's your deer season gone so far? Well. I'm, as
0: readers of Quality Whitetails know, they've read my articles over the, I guess, 10 plus years I've written for you all. I'm a meat hunter. My wife and I don't buy any red meat from the store at all. We decided about 12 years or so ago, if I killed 10 deer a year, we would have our red meat needs for the year taken care of. So every year I try to kill 10 deer. And last Saturday on the opening day of Virginia's general firearm season, I killed a deer and that was number 10. We've got the freezer full now for
1: 2022. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, I know to some folks listening, they probably think, wow, how, did, how in the world do you eat 10 deer? And because, and I hear, you know, sometimes I'll see people say, you know, I got two or three deer in the cooler or in the freezer and, you know, I'm good for the year. But I, I know myself, uh, the most I've ever managed to get in the freezer in a year was five. And we did not make it anywhere close to the next year uh on that venison because we're, we're kind of like what you said there when i when we do have venison that's pretty much all we eat you know venison or as far as red meat you know we'll eat some chicken and stuff but uh, uh yeah when, when you when that's all you're eating um red meat wise it you can go through a lot of deer for sure
0: yes and i'm I'm killing does almost overwhelmingly they're smaller of course than a buck that that it helps explain it. i mean i I didn't kill an antlered buck this year, and there's years when I don't. So that's another reason. I mean, if I killed a a big buck, which honestly I've never really killed what I would consider a trophy buck, that I wouldn't want, I wouldn't need to kill ten. But these are usually does, and they're a lot of them are you know year and a half old does. You know, the topic today, of course, is hunting in in suburbia. To go back, I killed two does in Virginia's urban archery season in September, then I killed uh, in October for the deer I killed the month of October were in a suburban neighborhood. You know, I was targeting those there because well in urban archery in Virginia and other states, you know, you can only kill those. And then in, when I hunt in suburbs, the landowners want me to concentrate on those because that's that's what needs to be thinned out in, in a suburban setting especially. You know, the people who have given me permission to hunt in their backyards and woodlots they they're expecting me the heat to, to kill those
1: right now but before we get too far along into the like you said we i do want to dive into the suburban hunting and and just all, kind of all the aspects of that but, but before we get too far down that road uh can you just tell us a little bit about yourself as far as you know who you are and how you were inter- introduced to the to deer hunting and the outdoors
0: well as i'm a high school english teacher i'll be 70 in april but I still love teaching school, and I've always loved teaching school since I started in the 1970s. My wife is a re- retired school teacher. The reason I got into deer, I didn't start deer hunting till uh, 1985 when I was 33. Elaine and I wanted to live a more natural lifestyle, and I wanted to hunt, and I just started being an outdoor writer then, and I didn't hunt. I fished a lot, and it was just something I'd always wanted to do, but I didn't have any Mentor growing up. And as you know, we well know, hunting is one of those pastimes that you need a mentor to get started. Uh, I didn't have anybody to help me get started. And finally, um, I just took the plunge and mostly went by myself. I had a few people to help me, but it was a painful (laughs) couple years learning how to do this. But I started doing the urban archery type thing uh, around 2008 or 9 and really struggled with that for a while because it was only in September. And those September suburban deer are, you know, a different different animal. And I really... My suburban deer hunting really didn't take off till I'd done that for a couple of years because there's a learning curve with that. The first few places I hunted in the suburbs, there weren't very many deer, so I just had... You have to go out and knock on doors and drive through neighborhoods just like you do in uh, rural America to get permission. You know, you have to find places where they will let you in and also places that were worth being let in. Because some of the places I, I hunted for deer, even in the suburbs, there weren't any deer. And so I had a lot of false starts with that. But I have one really, really good place in suburbia that I've hunted since I think 2014. And I've killed 27 deer. I keep records of every deer I've killed. I killed 27 deer in their backyard. And that's the local. Dane Warden or CPO, as they're known in Virginia, we were talking about the other day. He says, That's your honey hole, isn't it? And I said, (laughs) Yes, it is. And I, for example, I hunted that backyard six times this year until four, which is is about usual. About usual. I, I expect to kill one every time I go there. I don't kill one every time I go there, but I expect to kill one with my crossbow.
1: Yeah. I can certainly understand the, the pains of, of what you're talking about there, starting with, without a mentor. Um, I, now I started earlier than you did, uh, probably 13, 14 years old, but no, no one in my family hunted as well. And so, yeah, when you said, uh, talked about the, the pains of those, those first few years, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, it, it took me a lot of trial and error, mostly error, uh, to finally start finding some success, you know, when it comes to deer hunting, but. I guess what kind of an, sparked that an initial interest in, in the suburban side of things? Now, I understand, you know, you said you started, started deer hunting because you wanted to, to provide, put meat on the table. Um, what what kind of led from there to, to the suburban? Well,
0: there, there's a couple of things. Well, my wife, uh, Elaine, was, was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008, and she hired a health nurse oncologist to help her learn how to eat better. And the oncologist health nurse told her to eat either wild game, more wild game, or organically raised, you know, beef, chicken, that type of thing. And I had been killing five deer a year. That was my goal before then. And then when we decided to make that switch to for her to, you know, go all organic, which I was you know, that's what you know, Benison is it's the original organic meat if there ever was one. That's when we decided for for me to try to kill 10. And then I also realized that I needed to go do the the urban archery thing as well, because that would help me get a head start. Because I I didn't want to wait till Virginia's bow. Well, I I hunt Virginia and West Virginia. I didn't want to wait till Virginia and West Virginia's bow season started to go hunting. I wanted to get, I had to find places in suburbia that had deer in abundance And that took a little while to find the right kind of places. But once I did, I found that a lot of suburbanites want deer killed. They're tired of ornamental plants being eaten. They're tired of the gardens being devastated. I think many listeners would be pleased to learn that there's a lot of folks in suburbia that would welcome deer hunters coming to hunt in their backyards. And I mean, I certainly have found that. For example, one suburban landowner, she has a fair amount of deer, but not a lot. And uh, I don't get I don't go to her place that often and you know, she's fussed at me before for not coming <laughs> enough. And the one that I killed four deer out of her backyard this year, she wants me to come more than I do. And I, that's not atypical. People who are eating up with too many deer, they're they're very receptive to somebody calling them or knocking on their door. And I, I'll, you know, I've cruised neighborhoods before. Here's an example. My latest place that I gained permission, which was uh, in 2020, is in, was in Rano County, and that landowner had written a letter to the editor of our local newspaper complaining about the overabundance of deer and how they had ruined everything in her yard. <laughs> I noted her address was in Rano County. And which has an urban archery season beginning every year in Virginia, uh, Labor Day weekend. So I just called her up over the phone. She was Fork that I was interested in coming and gave me permission immediately to hunt that September. And this was in August, early August when I called her. So I went over there a couple of weeks later and walked the place with her husband. And he was telling me, you got to hunt here. You got to hunt here. This is where I want you. And, and I said, sure. And, and now, I had to find a place that was in Ronald County. You have to find a place 100 yards from a, the nearest dwelling. And fortunately, they had enough acres that I could get 100 yards away from their house and have a place that was really looked like a good place to, to put a stand. And it was in a walnut tree on the edge of a field. And it looked like a natural funnel that the deer would come through there in the morning to, to reach the, uh, the forest. And they come out the same way in the evening and I found the main trail and I've hunted that place six days now in two thousand twenty one and two thousand twenty I've killed three deer there. And they they want me back, you know, next next September as well. So I read I read about a complaint in the newspaper. <laughs> no. So um go yeah,
1: ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say I'm, I'm guessing that's probably not the, the typical way you uh you come across these suburban properties. Uh I so, so how do you generally go about uh, choosing what properties you want to target and, and maybe who you want to ask about you, hunting?
0: You, you go to a county that has urban archery, not all counties, of course, do, and drive through the neighborhoods, and then you and you knock on doors. And it's just the same way in rural America. I mean, one of my best places to hunt in West Virginia, I, for example, I, I just drove down rural roads until I found a place. That would let me go hunt there, and then as I got to know that little area better, I ended up buying 94 acres down the road from theirs. Uh, you know, as I got to know the area, it was such good game, you know, abundance of game there. I ended up buying some land there, and so you can depend on it that way, uh, knocking on doors. But you can also talk to people at work, and my honey hole and where I've had killed so many deer. The one place so where I killed, you know, well over 20 deer from was from a fellow teacher who knew I was a deer hunter, and she she asked me to come. And then when she asked me to come, her friend found out that I was hunting in um, that backyard, and her friend wanted me to come hunt in her backyard. <laughs> and so, I mean, things just blossom like that. It's part knocking on doors. It's part making contacts. And I, Look, I get turned down. For urban archery, I get turned down for rural America. Everybody does. Right. It's like asking a girl out for a date. You know, you can't get a date unless you ask, <laughs> and so you can't get permission unless you ask. And sometimes people come to you, of course, and you got to take advantage of that as well.
1: What would you say your your success rate is as far as you know knocking on these doors and and asking permission to hunt?
0: About the same as in rural <laughs> in rural America. <laughs> Maybe one out of every five. You know. I mean, I get turned down. Hunters are constantly losing places to hunt, and we're constantly gaining. That happens every year to me. It happens every year to lots of people. We own rural land. We live on rural land. You know, some neighbors let us hunt on their places and some don't. And every year, as I said, which I think is natural and normal, you you gain some places and you, you lose some places. You just have to keep asking and keep looking. It's, you know, it's something a hunter does throughout his hunting career. Is yeah. to, you know is to keep asking and keep looking and you know, i picked up a dandy place to hunt this hunt turkeys this year i can hardly wait to you know to go back there but i also lost you know i i lose places every year just you know usually so you know development happens or the conditions change or the landowner you know the land changes hands it's just part of it as you know brian
1: right yep so kind of kind i guess walk us through that what that conversation looks like then, when you when you go and you you're driving through this neighborhood, you've you've seen some properties that you're interested in hunting. Uh, what's that conversation sound like when you knock on the door, and and what kind of okay. what kind of tips would you give the listeners uh, for for maybe increasing their odds of, of getting a yes? Well,
0: what I what I do is I you know I first identify who I am. And that's the first thing. There, people are automatically you know concern when you walk up and you're, you know, what are you a salesman? What what do you <laughs> want? Right. I identify myself as a teacher at the high, over at the high school that so I may have taught your children or grandchildren or, some, you know, some of the people in this neighborhood. And I'm also uh, an outdoor writer and a hunter. And I've noticed that there are a lot of deer here. Do you have any deer? Are the deer damaging your gardens or, um, your ornamentals, or, or are you interested in somebody coming to to hunt does to reduce the population? And, if, and if, then I say, if you're not, do you know of any neighbors who might be amenable to me coming? That's the opening right there. Another thing you need to do in the world of suburbia is you need to let some of the neighbors know that you're going to be in such and such's backyard. And would it be all right if a deer runs from that yard to another yard can you go get it and that doesn't happen every year but you've got to be prepared for that right and i mean i I, for example i double lunged a deer a a huge doe four or five years ago and i it was a abundant blood trail and i watched that deer run and it ran past the yard i was in into somebody else's yard and up a hill And then it it expired 200 yards away. I mean, that deer on a double long shot ran 200 yards, I guess. But I had already gotten permission not to hunt on the next door neighbor's land. I had gotten permission from that gentleman to go into his land to retrieve a deer that I would have shot across the street. You know, I'd already taken care of that. So I went over there and um, walked up the hill and into his backyard and got the deer and then dragged it down. And let me just tell you this: how will, how people are in suburbia. Many people are this way in suburbia. When I was dragging the deer, two people, two different people, out for a walk, asked if they could help <laughs> me drag it, and thanked me for being there and spinning out the numbers. And they helped me uh, load that deer into my truck that day. That's a pretty good response. Now, of course, there are people that are going to be very upset. Yeah. And that the deer they are watching are, are being killed—that's <laughs> that, normal. To that's that's, that's going to be true in rural America too. I mean, right. you know, some people don't want hunters on their land in rural America, but I I do think from my experience that most people are going to be glad you're there, very very grateful that you're doing something.
1: Do you ever get any doors shut in your face when you when you go to no, knocking and asking permission? No,
0: yeah. You know, and I, I did a story for Quality Whitetails on this topic a couple years ago, and it was about a, a homeowners association invited me to come speak about the need to deer hunt. And I did this story for uh, for you all. There were a number of landowners there. Let, let me go back a little bit. The woman who invited me to come was from the city, and she'd moved into suburbia and immediately began having trouble with deer and she was the, you know, the city person who had gone into suburbia and wanted deer killed. And so a number of the people who were longtime members of that suburbs, they were upset with her for wanting their deer, they called their deer killed. <laughs> and so the, the conversation, I was there for well over an hour talking to those folks, because I, I was representing, a, you know, any potential person that was going to come in there and deer hunt or not. And I talked about, you know, the need to, to, to manage the herd, that they should get a wildlife biologist from the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources to come and talk to them because that person could explain it better than I could. But that basically that they had too many deer in that neighborhood and it was not good for the habitat. And I said, I am not, don't know this for sure, but I'm imagining that a, a Virginia DWR wildlife biologist is going to say the same thing because the browse line throughout that neighborhood was very obvious. And some people were very amenable, but some people were very angry about it, that they were even going to think about it. A number of people wanted the deer to be given birth control, and I explained the fallacy of that notion. And that was my biggest success that evening, that they realized that birth control was not an option. And I said, well, you're going to have to continually give pay to give these deer birth control, and then what happens if some deer some does moving to the areas that aren't on birth control and how's that going to work? And they finally decided, you know, that's not a good idea. That's not going to work. And of course it's not a good idea, right? But there were lots of strong opinions on both sides that evening. And, and frankly, I ended up not hunting there because there was such uh, there was a, a large contingent of people who were, who were not amenable to me or anybody else coming there to hunt. And you've got to have nearby neighbors uh, willing to, let you go retrieve deer because you can't be sure that a deer is going to die in somebody's great uh, backyard. They may run into a neighbor's yard, and you got to know beforehand that you know several people surrounding that particular lot are going to be okay with it.
1: Yeah. Is now is that something you pretty much do every time if somebody gives you permission? Do you go ahead and and I, I, contact I wanna, all the surrounding landowners?
0: I want to. I want to contact people on both sides. make sure it's okay and uh because you know that could happen it it usually doesn't it didn't happen this year of the four deer i killed in that backyard they stayed on her land and they were all deer that went oh gosh i think the farthest one went 35 yards but you can't guarantee that brian as you well know i mean all right no i mean i i killed a doe behind our house that went 60 yards and i shot that with a muzzleloader and still went 60 yards and it was a you know a a perfect boiler room shot, but it still went sixty yards. And you know that sixty yards in suburbia may take you out into, to, you know, two doors down, so to speak. Right. So you have to be prepared for
1: that. Kind of along those lines, is there? How small is too small? I guess to to try to hunt on someone's property.
0: Well, you know, this five acre five acre plots are really nice when you can find those. um, uh, And the, the Ronald County place, I think is around 15. And, but, but a hundred yards away from their place is this major housing development going up, but that's part of suburbia as well. You'll have these little oases of usually of older houses that are just ideal for suburban hunting. But, you know, then you also have these places that are just uh, too cramped to, to go. You know, you have to think about all this. I mean, There's got to be deer. There's got to be willing landowners and there's got to be a neighborhood not overly developed. Obviously, I mean, there's a lot lot that goes into it, but there's a lot going into rural America. I mean, you know, you got to know how the, the bordering neighbors feel about, feel about hunting in on a hundred acre property and out in the country. That's all part of it of wherever you go to hunt.
1: What would you say are some of the the biggest challenges, I guess, to hunting suburban properties other than, of course, what you already mentioned there, the neighbors, you know, making sure you have neighbors on board to be able to retrieve your deer. Uh, Any any other challenges that...
0: Well, I I have... This is just a hypothesis of mine. One of the most interesting things is I noticed you cannot... One of the challenges is you can't overhunt these rural places. Excuse me. You can't overhunt these backyards either. And I think that's something... You know, a lot of hunters who, are, who would be urban archery hunting for the first time may think, well, I can just come here, and these are dumb deer, and they're used to people all the time. I have this theory, and I don't know if it's right, but I have this theory that deer are so, have such keen noses, and we know how great they can smell, that they can differentiate between uh, the normal land, uh, the, the landowners that, that they see and smell and hear every day I think they can tell if somebody, a different human has come in there. I really believe that. And I could be wrong. That could just be a, a myth on my part that I possess. But I've noticed over and over, for example, in that my honey hole place that I've killed all those 20-plus deer on. I've noticed when I – I always hunt at their place. They want me hunting in a, from a blind. They don't want me up in a tree stand. They want me hunting from a blind. So that's where I hunt from is a blind, in their backyard. When the wind is blowing right and those deer can smell me in, their, in that blind, they're, they're going to spook. Because they know that that's not the smell of the human that they're used to. I really believe they can do that. So you have to play the wind in suburbia just like you play the wind anywhere. And I noticed when I first started hunting there, I, the first time I went there, I, I went there on, on a Saturday afternoon. This, this is a suburban-type story if there ever was one. The landowner told me to come after he mowed his lawn on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> because the deer always came into his yard after he mowed it. They smelled that cut grass. Is what he said. Well, I didn't believe it at the time. He said I was going to. He was going to finish at two o'clock, and for me to be over there by two fifteen. And he finished at two ten. I got in my line at two fifteen, like he told me to, and I killed one at fifteen minutes later. Killed a doe fifteen minutes later, and I thought, wow, this is easy. And then I asked, can I come back the next morning? He said, sure. And I killed another doe like seven minutes after sunrise that day. <laughs> And I went I went to get out, I got out of the blind to go get the deer and there were six or seven other deer that came in there and saw me going to that deer and they spooked and that spot wasn't any good for several weeks later. Hmm. And they they saw me come out of that blind and they were suspicious. And I ruined it for for several weeks. And that was the first time I learned that deep. you know, these are these are still deer. You can't go blundering around in their habitat, and think that it, they're just stupid city deer, and get away with it. You have to pattern them. You have to play the wind just like you would anywhere. And you can't do stupid stuff like climb out of a blind and go get a deer, <laughs> this other deer around, like I thought I was going to get away with.
1: Yeah, I definitely think there there's a perception among you know some some hunters and and probably non hunters alike that that you know hunting deer in the suburbs is is like you know you're hunting. Tame animals or pets, uh, and obviously that's not the case. That's interesting, though. About that, that's one thing I, I had on here. I wanted to make sure to ask you was, you know, if you if you play the wind and and do scent control just like you would if you were, you know, hunting in a, a normal rural setting. So yeah, I, I keep
0: my I hunt a lot after school, and I'll I keep my clothes in a you know scent free box in my car, my my pickup truck. And I know where the deer usually come from. They usually come from the north. So I don't want a southerly wind to hunt there. I mean, it's blowing toward, you know, from my blind toward them. Uh, that's not a good good place to hunt because they almost always come from the north there. I don't want a wind blowing my scent toward them. I mean, I've seen them smell me from 100 yards away in the suburbia. And I think if it was their usual Neighborhood people, that I don't think they'd be spooked, but I think they know that's a different scent, and they don't know. And the the, the wise thing to do is not to come where that strange smelling human is. I think they I think they can do that, and they can pattern us just like we can pattern them. I mean, world deer can pattern us if we go the same way to, to our stands too often, and the wind's not right when we do it. They'll pattern us, and they'll change their movements. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I'm curious do they, do they seem to notice like when you pop a blind up, is that something that, that you have to leave out there for a while before you ever hunt it for them to get used to? Or is, you know, is I don't think so. Okay. No,
0: I don't think so. Look, there's constant changes in suburbia. You know, somebody leaves a wheelbarrow out. I mean, some kid leaves toys out. I put up the blind the same day. And I do think that that is a difference. I don't, they're used to cars coming in and out and cars being parked here and play stations kids being here and there. And I mean, I, I don't think that, I think that's one way that that they are different from rural deer. A number of times I put up a blind and had success, you know, within an hour. I do think that's one of the, one of the things, but you, usually I like to leave it up for you know a couple of weeks before I hunt from it. I usually, for example, Virginia's, bow season starts the first Saturday in April. I usually like to put my blinds up in suburbia mid-September. Now, if if I'm hunting somewhere, by the way, during urban archery in Virginia, you have to be from a tree stand. So when I'm hunting urban archery um, in Ronald County, you have to be at least 10 feet up. So I'm always hunting from a tree stand in in Ronald County during September urban archery.
1: Okay. I guess that's a a safety thing.
0: It's strange in Ronald County, you're an urban archer. you have to be ten feet up in a tree stand or you can't you can't hunt. But the day when the day urban archery goes out, you could go back to that same place and hunt from a blind or under a tree. Oh. Huh. So here's something else that perspective suburban hunters should know. That usually every county has little regulation quirks that you, you have to be aware of. And that's something very important. And in you know, some counties, it might be 12 feet up above the ground to be in a tree stand. In Ronald County, it's 10 feet. And in some counties, you can't be within 100 yards of a house. And that eliminates a lot of places.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And I've been to Ronald County places before that I was asked to come to hunt. And I said, I can't hunt. Your, your house is where you, you know I'm, you don't have a 100-yard long backyard for me to get into. And that's the local regulation. You you have to obey the local regulation, whatever it is.
1: Right. Yep. So yeah, think,
0: that research you have to do?
1: Right. Yeah. But it is a as you've mentioned there. You know, it's a it is a good opportunity, or at least in you know in a lot of places, it can extend your season. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I know even oh, here, yes. even here in Georgia. And- uh, we have an extended few weeks on the end of the archery season uh, in some of the more populated counties around like atlanta and and Macon and uh, some of the the larger cities in the state. so it, it can provide additional opportunities in some cases and by
0: the way, and i I've, I've written about this before for quality white deals, but if you have somebody that's new to hunting and you know they've practiced a whole lot with a crossbow or a compound, I think it's. Uh, a great place to take a, a a new hunter to. I mean, they're going to see deer, you know, usually in a in a suburban setting. And you know, one of the the hardest things about being a new hunter is just feeling that you're that you're not going to ever see anything. Right. I know a a good friend of mine. I took took him. He'd really practiced with with the bow. He would he got a crossbow and really really practiced. He was very accurate. And I took him to a blind and we sat in a blind and he killed his first deer with me. And that was a real thrill. I've taken a uh, youth, you know, to suburbia before, and you know they've killed deer. And but again, you got to be, you've got to make sure that that person that you take is practiced and really practiced, in, because you don't want to wound a deer in suburbia, you don't want to wound a deer anywhere, obviously. But you especially don't want to wound one in suburbia and then have it go through somebody's backyard. That that's not good at all. Right. So um, it's not good anywhere. You have to make sure that the person that you're taking is is really really practiced and is ready to ready to be successful. But again, that's true anywhere.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So as far as I guess suburban hunting strategy, uh, how how does that differ from you know maybe hunting a larger rural track of land? What what's kind of your I guess your your scouting process? What are you looking for on these smaller tracks of of land? To, you're looking to, for
0: frontals people don't realize that, but I'm hunting that, that backyard that I love to hunt from so much. The backyard is a funnel and the house is to my left, a small woodlot is to my right and a larger woodlot is in front of me. And 90% of the time they come from the woodlot and directly in front of me. And it's because that those houses funnel them into that backyard. And there's a long field behind me that the deer sometimes come from, but usually they don't. So I'm, I'm hunting a funnel, a man-made funnel, but it's still a funnel. And that's why that place is so good. They have to go through that backyard. And that backyard, here's another thing, Brian, We should. there are three or four oaks in that backyard, but even better than that, there are three or four persimmon trees. Oh. So deer come to check those persimmons from October to early January. And I know, I've killed deer there the first of October under those persimmons when some, you know, there's a few persimmons that fall early and there's some that fall late. I killed one there the last day of Virginia's deer season a couple years ago. Our regular archery season ends the first weekend in January and I killed one there the first Saturday in January. I guess it was two or three years ago that it came in to eat those persimmons. The acorns were all gone, but that persimmon tree still had a few dozen persimmons on it. And they were going to come in there every morning to check and see if any had fallen overnight, even if there was only two or three. Huh. See, they, loved, they loved persimmons that much. I mean, I, I was it was a persimmon pattern. is <laughs> what yeah. it was. So you, you got – knowing the food sources, I had – now that was an ideal situation, food in a funnel. I was really confident that morning. When I went over there and put my blind up a few days before that, and I saw that there were persimmons still in that tree, my confidence level really shot up. And I, I killed a really nice doe there um, just a half hour after sunrise that morning. So, And I was expecting to. I mean, I knew they were going to come check on those persimmons. So food food and funnels, are, that's rural, rural deer hunting, but that's also uh, suburban deer hunting.
1: Yeah. Have you ever came across any kind of unique or, or odd food sources that they were keying in on in, in those suburban areas?
0: Well, one of the places I hunted in Ronald County, the neighbor had the shrubbery that the deer loved. <laughs> <laughs> so they had um, a red oak that was dropping acorns, and they had a pawpaw tree that was dropping pawpaws. Huh. But the deer were king first on that suburban um, staple. What is that? There, there is a plant I can't remember the name right offhand that that deer really like. But they were the, they visited, always visited that um, that shrubbery next to the house, and then they wandered right from there and headed for that red oak. And the my stand was between the red oak and the uh, pawpaws. That was that was my little thing. I had i learned I patterned them ornamentals in the next to the house. Then the red oak, then the pawpaws. hosta. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. The hosta. Deer okay. love hosta. Suburban deer love hostas. You find somebody's losing their hostas to deer, and you'll probably find somebody who's going to let you hunt. So <laughs> I think of all the things I've seen deer eat in suburban backyards. Hosta has been the plant that they really enjoy the most. Now let me tell you something else that you have that will mess you up in suburban, suburbia. I had just that one of the times I was over there. The on uh, the deer were on that, they were on that hosta red oak pawpaw paw pattern. And I was getting ready to to shoot, hopefully a really nice doe that had to come in. It was doing that that little circuit. And then the wind changed and it didn't spook the deer, but it spooked the neighbor's dog. <laughs> and that dog smelled me. And that dog went nuts smelling my smell and sp- the dogs barking scared away the deer. I'm convinced the dogs barking instead of my scent is what scared away that deer, because that deer wanted to eat those red oak okay corns and it just eaten the hosta, and I'm sure it was on the way to the pawpaws, but that dog would not stop barking at me, <laughs> and finally the doe left. So I mean, I've had I've had dogs run it for me more than once. Yeah, um,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, they'll scent you too, and they know you don't belong there. So I mean. that's another thing to keep in mind is the local dog going to tolerate your and honestly I had to give up hunting that place because that dog would never stop barking when I was there (laughs) so there's all kinds of things that can make it go right there's all kinds of things that can make it go wrong but that's true out in rural America I mean I've had coyotes come through and that's you know that's just as bad as a dog that uh, won't stop barking I mean coyotes will ruin a deer hunt in rural America a dog will ruin run it, you know, in suburbia. But again, that's just part of it. Oh yeah. I've had yeah. UPS men spook deer that were coming. <laughs> I've had the postman spook deer. One time, Brian, I had a golfer uh, spook deer. He <laughs> was golfing. He he kept hitting the balls, and it, the the ball squizzling around alarmed the deer, <laughs> and they left. So you know, that's a an errant golf shot can ruin your afternoon. <laughs> in suburbia too i mean you know anything can go wrong but uh overall overall though it's worth worth exploring
1: yeah yeah absolutely that's good yeah that's definitely a suburban deer hunting problem having a golfer mess you up but uh, i've, yeah, I, I, oh, I've had that happen yeah. <laughs> yeah I've i've had to get used to even you know we were talking about before we started recording that you know, I have the 15 acres here that I bought last year, but uh, I'm not in suburbia by any means. But, you know, I do have some neighbors and it does take some getting used to, you know, sitting out there in the evening and just kind of relaxing, trying to enjoy nature. And, you know, you got dogs constantly barking and I've heard the neighbor, you know, yelling at his kids and just, you know, stuff like yeah, that. that, that's,
0: that uh, that's part of it. I mean, uh, that, that golfer was, was very persistent and. He had hit a ball that went across the road and landed near my tree stand, (laughs) and he he was looking for the ball, and he did not realize he didn't see me up there in that tree. And finally, I yelled to him, "It's over here, about ten feet from me." As I startled him, (laughs) I was in full camo, and I startled him. And I said, "Your balls!" And finally, he saw me up in the tree. I said, "Your ball is right over there. It's about fifteen yards from where where I am," and I. I just wanted him out of there, you know. Yeah, yeah, So finally, he left. Let me add something else that I I I really believe that will help somebody who's things have popped into my head as we talked. Yeah, you should wear a face mask in suburbia, just like you do out there in, in rural hunting. I really think once I flacked off on that little bit of camo, and I think when I'm in that blind, if I have that face mask on and I'm I'm in I either wear black in, inside a blind or a full camo, I'm, that's what I'm going to have on it. Having a face mask on in that blind, even though you've got part of that blind shut up and dark and all that, I think that's a big deal too. I think one of the reasons my success rate has been better the longer I've done this in suburbia is that I'm really paying attention to even little details like that. I spray myself down, I keep my clothes as scent-free as possible. but I. Wearing a mask to cover your face and putting that hat down low over those eyes, I think, is a help as well. So you're do, doing those little details that we hunters are so insistent upon in rural hunting is also important, I think, in suburbia as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Still, still, still hunting wild deer. I mean, yeah. You just you got to take the same precautions in suburbia that you would uh, would anywhere else. So <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. That's, that's good stuff. Now, I know you and your wife, Elaine, have uh, you actually wrote a book together, um, not, not specifically on suburban hunting, but I know it covers some hunting and, and maybe fishing and foraging. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, and, yes. um, and
0: I, I, I've written 10 books overall. The first five books I wrote were, were on river fishing. I wrote River Fishing Guides on the James River, the New River, the Shenandoah and Rappahannock, and the Potomac System. And after I'd done those books, I wanted to do something different. And Elaine, as part of her recovery from breast cancer, we when she changed her her lifestyle, we got more into. Um, of course, more I did more deer hunting, and and we also I'd always fish, but we we also started gathering more. We always gathered wild berries in the summertime, you know, blackberries, raspberries, berries, that type of thing. But we started gathering more food year round, and I'd always done some of it, but we started doing more of that, and that's what led to the book. I mean, for example, in the fall, um, we gather uh, persimmons, black walnuts, uh, grapes, and um, a number of other things, um, pawpaws as well. And for this month in November, that you know, this is when we're talking. Uh, Elaine, you know, she's she's made pawpaw, wild black walnut bread. We've made persimmon bread. We're going to go gather some more persimmons. In fact, this weekend, that's what we're going to do. Sunday afternoon, we're going to take our grandchildren on that. And um, we've also really got into mushrooms. We've now we can identify oh gosh, fifteen to twenty wild mushrooms that are edibles that we can find here in in Southwest Virginia. And you know those things we you know wrote about in the uh, living the local rural lifestyle. And one of the great joys of Deer hunting is, of course, eating is the venison, but putting some chicken of the woods mushrooms on a on a tenderloin piece of tenderloin is a really a, a nice taste sensation. And then having a blackberry pie from blackberries that you picked uh, yourself as dessert for after a venison meal. All these type of things, um, you know, we we put into our living New local for lifestyle book, and I, I really think that adds to the satisfaction of being an outdoors person is is the gathering aspect and the the hunting aspect and you know bringing home fish to eat and then bringing home these wild foods to eat as well I just I think accentuates the uh, the outdoor lifestyle that hunting involves so we gather year round now and there's always something to find uh, we have two springs that have uh, uh, watercress in it on our land and watercress is a super, super wild vegetable It's highly nutritional and having watercress and a mashed potato dish or, uh, with an egg dish is, you know, a great thing and putting some wild mushrooms in there with it too. I mean, that just adds to the outdoor experience and the hunting experience. And, um, I mean, we, when Elaine and I moved to the country, we were suburban people, um, that, you know, grew up in, um, you know, small towns and with backyards. Well, you know, so we, l- we learned how to do this. And I think other people would enjoy learning how to do it as well.
1: Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I've, I've enjoyed reading them. You've shared some of those, uh, those recipes on our website at deer com, yes. And, uh, I know, um, one you did not too long ago was I think venison burger with the oyster mushrooms. And yes. I, I've, uh, yes. I, I haven't i haven't picked any yet but i've i've caught myself now anytime I'm out in the woods and you know I'm i happen to see some of those I'm I, I, I go back to that uh that article and that recipe i just gotta gotta make myself actually collect some of those and and try it out
0: yes oysters oysters are the number one winter mushroom uh is I, I, they have that fishy smell to them which i think helps identify them and they have that Oyster-like shape and that brownish, um, light brown uh, color to them, but the smell is very distinct, and um, they have they have a fishy smell to them, and I just love them on deer burgers or any any kind of venison dish. Now you have to wild mushrooms, you have to stir fry before you you can't eat them raw, but you know take the uh, uh, but. Golly, yeah, oysters. I'm always looking, checking on dead hardwoods this, <laughs> this time of year to try to try to find some oysters. And we, now last winter, we also learned to, to identify um, tree ear mushrooms, and uh, and they're another edible from the winter. And by the way, this has been a warm winter, warm fall rather. And earlier this month, um, we gathered some chicken of the woods that were still coming in. And they're, they are they are our favorite wild mushroom to eat. And they were still a, I, st- I found chicken in the woods every month between May and November this year. Hmm. And uh, I mean that is a superb mushroom to, to to gather.
1: Yeah. Now where can where can folks that may be interested in uh, in picking up your book where where can they find a copy of that? Uh,
0: well, order it directly from me if they want a signed copy, and obviously I would rather them folks ordered for me from some um, conglomerate and just email me at um, Bruce Ingram, Bruce Ingram outdoors at gmail.com. And my website is, is Bruce Ingram outdoors as well. And um, um, they can get, get, gain more information there, but I always answer emails uh, from folks and oftentimes, especially from people that are members of the national deer association, association, they identify themselves as, NDA members when they're writing me and they, they just read my article on quality whitetails are on the, you know, on the website. And it's always good to hear from fellow members. Um, yeah. Because they're usually um, got a story to tell <laughs> as well as, as asking for, you know, for information from me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be, I'll be sure to include your email and your uh, web address in the show notes when we uh, release this as well. So those folks, if they want to get in touch with you, they can do so. But uh, Bruce, I just I appreciate your time. We've been on here for about an hour now, and so I won't, uh, won't keep you any longer on this Friday afternoon, but I've enjoyed it thoroughly.
0: Thank you so much for asking me to come. I, I appreciate uh, the chance to talk deer hunting with a fellow member.
1: <laughs> Not a problem. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll definitely got, got several topics there. Then we can have you back on here at a later time to, to discuss. So I'll be, be looking forward to that. I'll be glad to help. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up our interview with Bruce Ingram. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to, uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, Or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website again at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, Um, deer management you name it Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related we got some good content right there on our website available to you so check that out and of course you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms facebook instagram twitter and youtube at deer association so again thanks for listening to the deer season 365 podcast the podcast where deer season never ends